Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is UXK. 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 Cake. UX Cake. UX Cake. UX Cake. UX Cake. I'm your host, Lee Allen Arredondo. Over the past few years, we've seen a growing trend of designer-founded startups. Now, there's a few really notable startups that have been founded by designers, and we hear about them over and over. Airbnb, Kickstarter, and Lynda.com have definitely paved the way. And in general, startups are realizing the value of user-centered design as a competitive differentiator. So there's definitely more value being placed on design and user experience in the startup world. But the designer as founder is still definitely not the norm for startups. This week, I'm talking with designer founder Will Sakura of Covalent to find out more about the benefits and challenges that he's faced as a designer founding a startup. So thanks, Will, for joining me on UX Cake today. Of course. Yeah. Thank you for having me. We started talking about kind of this conversation of the UX founder... Mm-hmm. a while back. And I was really very interested in your experience in starting Covalent. <laughs> Sorry, it's like the chemistry bonds. It's a down the road, we'll probably take a look at the name and the spelling and make it just a little bit more intuitive. But I was thinking I was clever when this first name first came about. Yeah. <laughs> well, so before we like dive into your current experience, I would love to start with your experience doing UX for someone else's startup and then how that related to your deciding that you could do your own. Okay. So I started off freelancing kind of on the side of a my day job. And I mean, that was the kind of the catalyst for the idea behind Covalent in the first place, but kind of got the ball rolling for me was working with other freelancers and understanding kind of what we could tackle together. And so that's reinforced kind of this idea that I had baked into the back of my head on how to make that process work easier. But it was working on a few different projects with a few connections of mine that I really kind of realized, okay, you know, here I am coming in, they've tapped me as a designer, I can do the design, but you know, we're working on these projects for clients that really, they haven't necessarily done a whole lot of validation, they haven't necessarily understood their value prop just yet, they haven't really gone into any kind of discovery mode, they have an idea, and very optimistically, they're hitting the ground running in there sourcing folks like the team I was working with to kind of implement for them. And while that was great to kind of have the job and know that, okay, I can do this work, there was a lot of risk that was kind of coming along with that because we were putting together something, a product that really we didn't know if it was going to work or not. And there was definitely a lot of, well, we'll ship it fast and we'll learn from the feedback we get. And hopefully we'll ship something eventually that will resonate and land, which is a great kind of, if you're thinking about it from an MVP standpoint and trying to explore a market that has some merit, but the fidelity of which you're introducing something, that was kind of where, from a UX standpoint, we were taking a look and stepping back and saying, okay, well, we we really don't have to build out an entire experience. We can either do a prototype, we can take a look at the value of just doing some surveys or maybe even just some sketches and sitting down with actual people that you think might be a customer and understanding from them what 
needs they feel need to be addressed compared to a solution we're putting in front of them and just hoping that they would validate that we were on the right track. And is that something that you were doing with the other startup or was that something that you saw needed to be done and those founders weren't necessarily on board with that? That was something that after going through a few iterations of that, we were able to kind of say, okay, you know, you're paying us for these hours and truth be told, we probably could be a little bit more effective and get to a final valuable product faster if we were to take a step back. So what kind of started off as kind of a design gig turned into a product strategy consulting kind of gig. And to various degrees of success, I think with the process that they kind of started, and this was one of their first ventures as well. So there was a sense of we're learning, which is, again, something that you kind of go into a startup knowing that it's going to, a lot of learning is going to happen. And so I think the concern there was that, okay, you know, now we've decided to pay you as a designer and pay these folks as developers. We're the ones that really should be driving the discovery side of this. Maybe we should take that on ourselves. So there was kind of an education piece of displaying the value of doing kind of that background customer research and honing of the value prop with actual real users or potential customers at that point. And so I think the value kind of was established. And it was kind of a trade-off. Okay, we understand the value of doing it. We're not quite ready to completely just like pause and pivot to full-on customer discovery. We do have some kind of the beginnings of a product that we have in beta at that point with a few different customers. And so it was kind of playing catch-up with the stuff that was in market already versus kind of not going back to the drawing board completely, but taking a step back and saying, okay, you know, of the features that we thought were good, which ones should we really kind of develop? Which ones should we maybe place on the backlog and validate that they actually need to exist in the way that we envision them. Yeah. And so to me, that sounds like design thinking that (laughs) there's a lot of discussion about bringing design thinking to startup founders. And so I guess in your situation, the design thinking was part of your process already, which sounds like an advantage. Like what other, do you feel like you had other advantages that your UX experience brought for you starting with your own startup experience? Well, I'd say, I mean, my background was in visual design. Like that's what I, I studied graphic design in my undergrad program. And my career, I started off as a print designer. And I think having an eye for design and the aesthetics of something, and even before I thought to call anything that I was doing an interface or a design, an experience design or anything like that, I was, they were print ads and you could see them in the newspaper and you go and you could save two bucks on, you know, a few liters of Pepsi. And so I kind of understood okay, to tell a compelling message, to make this something that's going to stand out. There was a goal of what the work needed to complete to do for an end user. And in general, like getting to a state that our customer was happy, the all the stakeholders that were involved were happy, my boss was happy. You kind of go through that iterative process anyways, where you kind of have an idea for a layout, you put it together, you put draft one on it, you send it off to get approved. And obviously you get feedback. And so you kind of have this design sense of a process, not necessarily your first draft is ever going to, I'd say it's if the first thing you put out is what's printed, then there's a little bit more risk for that because, you know, the feedback reveals things that be stronger, things that should work better. And in general, good design doesn't happen in a vacuum with just one person working in a silo. It actually requires multiple streams of, of feedback. And so just being groomed with that graphic design sense and knowing that, you know, you put something out, you receive direction and feedback on it, you take it to a draft to you work on it, you push it back out, you get feedback and then and until it gets approved. And so 
understanding that, okay, the first time I attempt to do something, I don't have to get it right. I can actually listen to the feedback. It's going to become stronger because people have thought about the work I've done, how it impacts them. And it builds up this sense of, of listening and understanding and, and hearing perspectives that aren't necessarily your own. And from a design standpoint, that's something that graphic designers have. That's something that UI designers have. It's something that is core to the design kind of principles and practice, but it's a huge advantage, especially when you're trying to bring something new or solve a problem in a new way. To have that cycle of feedback and seeking of feedback and hearing of perspectives about it kind of ingrained in your process compared to somebody who may feel pressure to just knock it out of the park the very first time. Yeah, right. Getting the input early and often from your customer or your user. Right. So when you were thinking about your own startup, was there at that time when you just started thinking, you know, maybe this was something that was worth pursuing, was there anything that you felt you needed to go learn first before you could actually start? Hmm. So, yes, the technical side of things, I'd say, is probably something that from an implementation and working on a technology-based startup with a design background and looking at like what's appealing to incubators and investors, people who want to get involved, understanding not just the concepts behind the technology that would implement things, but actually being able to implement a little bit myself. That was something that was, I wouldn't say, maybe shortcoming is the correct word because while I understood the concepts. I understood the strategy about bringing it to market. I understood the value of having the solution and I understood how it should work. I understood the ins and outs of, of the experience and I had a prototype and I had this designs that I was ready to kind of hand off. But when in my career prior to doing the startup full time, I got to work next to developers and kind of in tandem with them, but I was not necessarily the one responsible for implementation. I could provide feedback along the way, but I was not the one actually writing code. And I'd say that that is something that changed pretty quickly when I decided to break off on my own and, and do this by myself. I'd say that is probably one of the shortcomings of being a single founder as well, is that not only if I get hit by a bus, nothing gets picked up by somebody else to continue on. So that's kind of a risk, but also looking for non-technical founders, especially single founders, the ability to implement is something that is really, really important for getting the interest of incubators and getting the interest of investors as well. Was finding a partner or a co-founder something that you considered doing, or was that a decision that you had to make one way or another? So it's a decision that I have not entirely shied away from, and especially now that I'm able to kind of show a little bit of technical prowess, I can actually, I have a much better likelihood of courting and landing a really great technical co-founder to help me with this. The Initially, because the idea behind Covalent has been something that I've been sitting on and working out and doing the strategy on in my head for a number of years, I kind of felt, okay, you know, I've really got this thing nailed down. I've got a ton of validation that goes into it. The idea of bringing on like a 50-50 partner at this stage kind of just felt weird. Like it would be not necessarily a fair split at that point. And I was feeling a little bit selfish too. But I will say too, I've kind of gotten over that in terms of one, understanding that, yeah, ideas are great, but implementation is just as important, if not even more important sometimes. And so at this stage in the game, yeah, in the process of working with a few folks that might be a good fit for a co-founder role. And it's funny because with a startup, when you're choosing founders and co-founders, it is a bit like dating where you kind of want to get a sense of kind of who they are as a person, the kind of 
their values, their work ethic, how they communicate, all of that is so important beyond just their technical skill set. And so going out and kind of finding that person, it's a process in and of itself. They say like raising money is a full-time job. I could say that, you know, going out and seeking a co-founder is probably right up there at the same level of effort just to find the right person, to understand kind of how they work and invest the time and kind of establishing a relationship with them. It's a big piece of it. Yeah, I can only imagine. I mean, I think having a partner is so much different than hiring someone. (laughs) It's definitely more of a commitment. It is. But by doing that due diligence, it makes me personally feel much more comfortable with whatever the equity split be or however that works out. And I'm curious about, you know, funding. And I suppose this might not be different for you as a with a UX background, just in general. Did you have to make decisions about whether to raise funds or bootstrap it? Yes. And those decisions kind of change kind of depending on the month. So I do a bit of consulting on the side and that's kind of been for two reasons. One, it generates the funds that I need to kind of keep the doors open right now. And two, because my startup is kind of focused on freelancers and helping them be successful, it keeps me kind of grounded in the needs of the members that are on the platform. And so I don't ever want to lose touch of with my end users. I'm, I was a freelancer before I was a founder, and I kind of want to make sure that I don't ever forget what that was like and put too much distance between my role as a founder versus my role doing freelance work as well. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So then what about funding? Like, did that feel really foreign to you? Like, how did you go about understanding how to make decisions about funding and getting investors or that kind of thing? I will say that it definitely play decision to seek out funding really comes down to the stage of the business. So when I first left and my day job and, and decided to do this full time, my wife and I had stockpiled some savings. And so we had a runway that was pretty good. And I was thinking, okay, you know, if I get this to a point, I didn't have a beta platform at that point right now. I just had a waiting list with a bunch of names on it. In retrospect, I probably would have waited to actually have a platform with that was in the market. But I was able to get that stood up in the first month after that changed things a little bit. Being able to actually have a platform that people were using, I had done just a little test to see if it would generate some revenue. And it did, Uh, not a ton of revenue, but enough to say there's people that are willing to actually input credit card information and spend money, which was a a constant, everything since launching was been this kind of iterative test to see like, okay, what will get me to the next milestone? And so now that I've kind of accelerated what the next milestone is, that's kind of accelerated my need to seriously consider raising money. And from I'm trying to see if think hard about if UX actually fell into that decision. I think that was more about product maturity and being able to have something that showed traction compared to the actual UX of the platform itself. Yeah. And so like with your background in UX, I'd say a lot the more common background for a founder is an MBA right? I don't have an MBA, but I think those are some of the things that you learn when you're in a program like that about product maturity and things around funding. So did you feel like you were maybe at a disadvantage not having had that background? So in some ways I did because, well, and my experience is a little bit split. I've definitely seen the MBA founder and that kind of was who I was describing at first, where we were kind of pushing something out and then pivoting based on end user feedback and kind of investing a lot of time and money in 
the different features and designs of different features that we didn't know had a lot of value. And I say the flip side of that is that there's also a lot of founders that come from a technical background. They understand how to build a, a product. And they're probably in the same camp as a designer or founder in that from a business and the business side of things, there's a bit more of a, a learning curve. So I went on to get my master's and I was considering if I was going to go the MBA route, I was still working full-time as a UX designer. And so I was considering, do I get a master's in UX design? And the program I settled on was actually a master's in technology entrepreneurship from the University of Maryland. And for me, it was like the perfect balance between the process of identifying an innovative opportunity to solve a big problem and also to develop the potential to turn that into a profitable business. And by getting that sense and that program, it knew it was kind of going up against MBAs. And so I saw a lot of value in it because it actually made kind of the abstract learnings that you might get in an MBA program, very academic approach that MBAs tend to have. It made that more applicable, directly applicable to whatever kind of venture or idea you may have had. The first couple of terms actually are focused on looking at the world and identifying innovative opportunities. And so by doing that kind of assessment, you're able to say, oh, there's actually an opportunity here. I'd like to kind of continue this program with this solution in mind. And so for me, it was very self-serving because I had this idea for Covalent going into it. And so I was able to validate it and apply all my coursework to it, which definitely helped. But it did give me a little bit more insight into the legality of certain things related to starting a venture, financing of certain things, marketing side of things, things that I wasn't necessarily super strong in going into it. That particular program did wonders for establishing at least a foundation for that. Yeah. And in retrospect, do you, I mean, it sounds like you learned a lot through that program. In retrospect, do you feel like you needed to have that before you could start? I would say that it wasn't a hard requirement, but it was in a lot of ways, it mirrors kind of curriculums of some of the accelerators that I've seen. The second term we did like a hundred customer interviews where going in and you're not even talking about your idea yet. You're just kind of understanding the pain points that somebody has. That sounds very user focused. Yeah, it was incredibly <laughs> user focused. And as I was going, that's where I definitely felt like I had an edge because I had the comfort of going in and doing user interviews and understanding how to talk to people and the kinds of how to ask the right questions and not lead and morph things to kind of get the answers that I hope, but to actually really validate. And the, my UX background there specifically, that wasn't even something that was really tied to UI. It wasn't really tied to information architecture yet. Like that was all geared towards just this discovery aspect. And I'd say that probably, I know I had a lot of people in my class that were struggling to get their interviews. And I was like, oh, well, actually, if you conduct a survey, like you, then you can get these leads this way. And then you can follow Like it was just, I appreciated that I kind of had in, in terms of understanding how to do this assignment pretty easily. But then I was also able to help out people who had more academic backgrounds or had been more technical, actually help them understand kind of, you know, oh, well, maybe we're working on this particular thing, the way you've asked this question is not necessarily going to give you as much information as if you changed it to not be a multiple choice and you made it open-ended. So things like that really did help along the way. Yeah, I absolutely can see how a background in UX would be helpful to anyone as a founder or co-founder in a startup. I'm curious what you if you have found any difficulties that having a UX background has presented. You mentioned something about balancing, needing to balance the product mindset and business goals with your, you know, your UX mindset focused on user needs, which I'd say that in UX, we do have to do that. But how has that been different for you as a founder? So 
Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because recently it's been one of these things where, okay, I've had this platform, it works, people are coming to it and they're returning to it and it's doing the things that it needs to do from a user standpoint. And now my next step with looking to raise money is like, okay, now the business case for this, I've decided to make this a freemium model. Now I have to go defend why a freemium model is going to be the way to earn investors their money back. And then there's kind of being able to answer the questions about like, okay, well, why aren't you charging for this particular feature? Or why haven't you done this particular thing that those are the kind of questions that are being asked kind of about the business model. Very easily, I could go put a paywall up and I could kind of position it so that people had to pay at this early stage. And For me, the offering right now, we're still in beta, is not as fully baked as I would like it to be. And while that might be a more compelling case for an investment to show proof of revenue this early, I don't think that ultimately that serves the purpose of what this platform is built to do. And it kind of goes against the culture that I'd like to create. So it's balancing the, I don't want to call it pressures, but balancing what I know certain investors or certain stake, I shouldn't even call them stakeholders. That's just a bad habit, but balancing these outside influences in terms of achieving milestones that I think need to be achieved. All of that are things that I could implement and hit, but I would also be kind of compromising a little bit of the product too. And I think ultimately like a founder or anybody working on a startup or a venture, the sweet spot is when the business goals are achieved through this proper mix of product strategy and business strategy and UX. And it takes a while to really get there. And I think that that can make or break a a product in general is that, okay, you might be able to make a great business case for it, but it doesn't do much for you if nobody's willing to pay for it and vice versa. If people are willing to use it and not pay for it, then ultimately at some point you got to make a decision about like, well, is this a a lifestyle company? Is this something that, you know, I'm going to do as a way to deliver value and return, build a community. And it's just something that I'll maintain on nights and weekends, or is this something that, you know, really has legs to stand up and disrupt an industry and, and getting deciding on things like that. It's always kind of murky until it kind of falls into place. And so, yeah, it's a process and it's something I didn't necessarily anticipate going into it. And this might be a first time founder naiveness, but I definitely understand the mindset of the product owners I've worked with in the past, especially I was working with financial services before this. And a lot of the times there was initiatives that were like, okay, we saw a competitor doing this. We should do this too. And it wasn't really grounded on our actual users and their needs. It was based on, we saw it out in the marketplace. We want to have the same thing or vice versa. It was something that one of our clients was saying they wanted because they saw it somewhere in the marketplace and decided it was a good idea. And so we just agreed to implement that for them. But I want to get back to something that you were talking about, because although I work in a startup right now, and it's not my first startup, I have not heard really people talking about this in the same way you're talking about. Are you creating a lifestyle company versus a high growth industry disruptor? And I'm curious, first of all, like, I guess, without going too deep into it, what's the difference there? And how do you know? Mm, Well, it's, I will say that I didn't necessarily know it too much until I started to talk to some very early stage investors. And really, it kind of comes down to the business model and the approach to making money. If there is 
the opportunity to kind of make consistent income by doing, by offering like a service as opposed to building a platform and community and product that does something that's kind of new. I, and in terms of the potential revenue, I think is tied to that as well. So if you're looking at something like, if you're starting a, a service that is geared towards custom website development and you're starting an agency and you've brought in resources and you, you have clients queued up and you're building these websites for people and you're delivering them and you're supporting them. Your process may be brand new. You may have figured out a way to leverage technology better that automates a lot of the mundane pieces of it. And you might've actually pulled your margins way, way, way down. But what you're doing as your business model is you're building websites and you're selling them to clients. And that's a service, I would imagine. And that's more of a service. And then the element of disruption that's in there you might have optimized everything about your business and you've gotten it super lean and your margins are really high. But unless you're doing that and saying, okay, now we're going to take this process and we're going to go into every single shop that's making websites across the country and sell this process to them. And then we're going to become the go-to resource for all things related to optimizing the, and automating website design. Like that to me is the potential to be disruptive. I'd say that's probably close to like what Wix and Squarespace has done. They kind of said, okay, we're going to be a website builder, but now we're going to make it so simple that we were going to introduce it to the masses. And now all these agencies are kind of like, well, great. What are we supposed to do? We have clients that are coming to us and saying, why should I go with you versus, you know, setting up a Squarespace. And it's that element of disruption, that element of customer acquisition because of the simplicity, I'd say that that probably is what would draw the line between something that's a little bit more of a lifestyle company compared to a disruptor or something that has huge growth potential beyond just an initial service offering. Yeah. I think that was helpful to hear that example. And I'm curious about investors. Like clearly you have been talking to investors. I'm, I'm super curious if you have found that there's any bias against designer founders or if your background in design has presented difficulty in raising funds or getting interest? I'd say it only hinders me in so much as the assumption that I don't have a technical background. Design has started to become a little bit more elevated in terms of the value being placed on it and the founders having a background. Like Airbnb is a great example of that. Their founders went to RISD, if I'm remembering that correctly. Mm -hmm, right. And the value of design, it permeates through their entire culture and product. And I think that they've been a great catalyst for an indicator for traditional investors and VCs and angels that, you know, if you prioritize the design and you prioritize the experience and the product reflects that, you're going to be able to attract and retain customers at a much higher rate than if you built something that seems like an awesome service on paper, but then when you try to implement it, try to use it, it simply is difficult. There's a big value placed on experience now. And so I'd say that it's the bias against designers as founders has shifted away from the negative and more towards the positive these days. It also helps too to have like really nice pitch decks and materials and marketing materials, and a nice slick website all indicates that you kind of have your act together. And it's something that people are prioritizing much earlier in the stage too. I'd say in the past, it was one of those things where it's like, okay, well, we can throw it up there. The technology behind it is awesome. You know, we can put whatever interface on top of it for now, and then we can go back and, you know, make it pretty down the road. 
And I think that that mentality is changing to say, oh, you know what? If we really want to get as many customers as we can, as early as we can, we really do got to pay attention to what it looks like now. Yeah. And the experience. I think I mentioned I met a startup and it's early stage. So like we're preparing beta and our CEO is talking to investors quite a bit. And I'm definitely seeing a a much larger importance given to the experience and design in the feedback from investors than, you know, the startup that I was at 10 years ago, like that wasn't even, I mean, it was discussed, but I was brought in, you know, the UX lead at that startup that had already been around for four years. And I was their first UX lead. Whereas this time they're bringing in a head of UX at before there's even a beta. And so I think there's a much more emphasis put on experience and design than there used to be because, you know, we know that they're getting used to having nice looking and good working products. And so it's been raised quite a bit. And I mean, I think too, in terms of UX and especially in early stage startups, it's because it goes back to like just our affinity for discovering and optimizing and learning and testing and bringing it back. Like that's, it's the reason like lean UX and lean startup are so similar. It's the same process. It's just being applied really it's to the scale of problems to be solved. I'd say that maybe lean UX can get a little bit more granular than lean startup because you know, you're solving problems inside of a product and maybe about features inside of a product where with lean startup, you're doing the same thing, but at a product level about mm-hmm. your whole value prop. And as more people have become aware of kind of what UX achieves through the process and see the parallels between the struggles they've had with past ventures, because they didn't necessarily do that same process in validating their value prop. And the appreciation has definitely extended and so much so that Yes, I think that UX designers kind of have a leg up, but I think the process of starting something up and knowing that you need to be lean and understand that you're going to iterate on things, that also forces founders who may not have appreciation for UX to quickly gain one because they've understood the process themselves. If if they've ignored it, then they've opened themselves up to a, a huge amount of risk by putting something out there that really doesn't land with the audience as they intended. So it it almost turns founders into UX practitioners without them even realizing it sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) Well, if they're being cognizant of the need to go out and do that kind of discovery we talked about earlier, part of the problem that I would see, first of all, I don't see myself as a founder. I'm, although I'm definitely part of the startup team at the startup that I'm at, but I could not make all those business decisions by myself. There's no way. (laughs) That is a lot of pressure. It is a challenge, especially for single founders. I, like I said before, pushing to find a technical founder or mentioned technical co-founder before, but even for the very reasons you mentioned, it's a lot to try to handle without being able to bounce it off somebody. And I'm lucky enough, I'm involved in some of the local um, startup groups and a local accelerator that I'm a member of that has given me more resources to kind of have conversations with people that are in a similar space. But yeah, I was going to ask you, you know, where have you found mentorship? I've been very lucky. It's actually through the local community. And I think it was at a meetup that I actually met somebody who kind of had some ideas about their own venture, asked if we could kind of put our heads together and kind of see what that might look like. And we kind of went down the discovery side of things and met every couple of weeks and kind of had conversations. And then one thing led to another and, and 
he got pulled into um, a new company and was able to take over. And because of that, we kind of moved from working on something together to doing our own things. But he's the CEO now and has a background in senior management and has just been a, a fantastic sounding board. We kind of got back together kind of after we both kind of realized, okay, um, Will's going to be working covalent and he's going to be working on his new company. But we're still going to continue to meet every couple of weeks and, and touch base. And he's been a great sounding board along the way. And so it kind of evolved from what started off as a little bit of a working relationship where we're trying to work on things together to, okay, you know, these are the kind of the needs that I need and he's able to support. And so I got very lucky that way. It's kind of, it happened through my uh, organic network and it just, it worked out nicely. Yeah. I'm curious as we sort of wind down or wind up here, if you have advice for other potential UX or design founders, just kind of in retrospect, you had an idea and it, it sounds like it you had that it percolated for a while and you went through a master's program in entrepreneurship. Is that something that you feel really like made the difference? for you so far? Or what are kind of the biggest learnings that you've had along the way that you would recommend for other potential founders? So I'd say probably to make a designer's life easier, do the best you can to build a relationship with a great developer. But well, I should say that if you're dealing with a technology product, and it's in the digital space, align yourself really well with um, a, somebody who has a development background, even if you do plan on trying to attempt to do most of the work yourself, just having a sounding board and direction on which technology stack and the approach and what makes sense to do when, and even understanding the level of effort that goes into different features. I'd say that that grounding is really, really important. I think that that same thing applies, even if it's a physical product and not a digital product. If you have something that you're looking to manufacture, you can design it till you're blue in the face. But if it is really, really logistically difficult to have manufactured, fabricated and assembled and then shipped, working in tandem with somebody who kind of understands that space will save a lot of headache and help you prioritize things along the way. I don't necessarily think that a master's in technology entrepreneurship would be essential. But I think getting involved with some kind of accelerator program that puts, for me, I really benefited from having some structure around the different efforts. I think if I had said, okay, I'm going to go out and do 100 customer interviews, I might have done maybe 20 over the course of the same time. But because it was attached and I was held accountable to my coursework, I'd say that my own ability to implement all that benefited. So while I wouldn't say a master's in it is essential, I'd say some kind of structure or some kind of, if it's an accelerator program or if it's something to hold you accountable, really benefited me and kept me focused. Yeah, that's awesome. Real quickly, before we say goodbye, I would like to hear your elevator pitch for Covalent. Mm, okay. So Covalent is a platform for freelancers to find other freelancers. And like I mentioned earlier, it kind of came about as from my own experience freelancing. I would have projects where I could do the design work, but I would need a developer or a writer or marketing to be able to offer my clients kind of a full package solution. And I needed a way to kind of tap into my network quickly and easily. I spent a lot of time on LinkedIn looking for people that Turned out they weren't available. Same thing on Facebook, same thing in my email. And so I built Covalent to kind of bring all my contacts together, be able to look at their profiles at a moment's glance and say, okay, this person's available. This person is somebody I should reach out to. And from that, kind of that 
planted the seed for covalent. And so now we've built a way to not just look at the availability of the people that are in your network, but we're actually building trust and using ratings to not just look at the work they've done in the past, but also to forecast out the potential that they'll do in the future. So getting an understanding of how well somebody will work, even if I've never worked with them before. And putting it all together in this community-focused web application for freelancers to kind of go to battle with all the platforms that have commoditized their talent up to this point is what we're all about. Awesome. I think we could probably spend another 45 minutes talking about (laughs) Covalent and about your experience. This has been so, so interesting, but I've got to say goodbye. So thank you so much, Will, for talking with me. It was super interesting. So I'm looking forward to talking again. Likewise. Yep. Thank you. All right. Enjoy the rest of your day, Will. Thanks. You too. So if you've been considering starting your own next big thing, Will definitely has some great advice. And I think we probably just scratched the surface on this subject. You can connect with Will on Twitter at Covalent. That's C-O-V-A-I-L-N-T. And of course, check out Covalent online at Covalent.com. C-O-V-A-I-L-N-T.com. If you enjoy UX Cake, why not share it with your friends? There's enough cake for everyone, so don't keep it to yourself. Connect with us on social Social media, Twitter and the gram are my favorites. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a bite.